0: thanks for checking out the lakeshore podcast if this is your first time listening with us we want you to know god loves you we want for your hope in jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life wherever you are joining us from we hope this message encourages you Bibles, um, we're going to be in first timothy chapter four for just a second and then in john first john chapter two for a second and um, we are actually in our um, well, I don't even know what week this is, so we're kind of continuing in this series about I've Got Questions, uh, where over the last several weeks, um, we've been talking about the culture that we're living in. And um, I want to give a shout-out first, before I go any further, to the kids in the house today. Kids, are you there? All I, can say, all I can say, it was awesome to hear your voice say Jesus. Right? It was awesome. And so we give you, we give you like just... A, a, a huge high-five for that, right And you know what, what's cool is you're not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of the day today, too. And so just know that as well. All right? And so we've been just kind of talking about it, the culture we're living in, and how, in, in some ways, I think some people have actually referred to this as a cultural civil war, that um, we're actually in a war where we as Christians must recognize. That it's not just a, a, a war, but it's a, it's a spiritual war that is going on. And really, we can see this within culture today. I mean, if you're paying attention, you can see the sinister forces that have mounted basically a massive full-scale assault on our traditional um, moral values. They're, they're looking to uh, sanitize basically our society from God, all of God. They're trying to um, kind of just remove Christianity from public life. And they're just dis- distorting every line of, of biblical truth. And um, even within the church, because we, we see certain churches that are um, grasping and grabbing a hold of this kind of culturist, um, anti-God culture in the church. And it just saddens me. And, um, but man, you know what? That is something we absolutely will never do. But we know that um, in First Timothy chapter four, Paul tells us this. This has kind of been our theme scripture for the whole um, series that we've been on. Um, that as Paul is kind of uh, shares this, we we see that it's mirroring a lot of what's going on today. But he says this, and this is in the uh, Living Bible, so it might be a little bit different than what you're used to. But it says, uh, "But the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some in the church will turn away from Christ." And become eager followers of teachers with devil-inspired ideas. Some Bibles say doctrines of demons, and these devil-inspired ideas are living. They're breathing. They are mutating quickly in this postmodern ideology that we find ourselves in. In this culture, it's just rapidly growing, and this this postmodern ideology basically says, hey, we need to adjust truth. That's the, that's the thought. That's the theory, right? We need to adjust truth, but there really is no place for absolute truth in any, of our, in any, in, in any way in our culture um, today. So basically what they're trying to do is eliminate Bible truth. How, you know, in the, in the 50s and in, in, in probably the 60s, some of us have grew, grew up then, there was a really strong emphasis on church really strong emphasis on, on following God's Word, where today that is not the case. As you can see, if you pay attention to the news or if you're even talking to people, that, that's no longer the case. And then what they've done is they, they call it applied postmodernism, which basically then is um, absolute truth must be destroyed. God's, God's truth must be absolutely destroyed. And it has no relevance whatsoever And then what they're trying to do basically is develop their own truth that best suits their need or best suits them overall. But see, as Christians, we need to have our Holy Spirit radar up, I think. We need to begin to really begin to understand and see that, you know what, this is not a a, a war that we're fighting with our hands or with our words. But this is a a war, it's a spiritual war that we need to start Um, battling in prayer and with grace giving god's word as truth but with grace does that make sense because a lot of times what we'll do is we might get defensive and we might want to argue with it but sometimes i think what we need to do is just walk in love And we've been kind of talking about that, about being able to just proclaim God's truth in love with grace to this lost culture, to even your spheres of influence, because all of us have those. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the complexities of relationship in this kind of cultural climax or, or culture that we're in. And so we want to continue on that same thread. And this is the title of our message today, and we kind of want to answer this question. And it says this, am I supposed to love everyone? And everything, all the time, am I supposed to love everyone and everything all the time? So let's let me expand that just a little bit to give you some context. And this is what how I wrote it: How should Christians respond today in today's cultural demand for unconditional acceptance in the name of love, when Scripture specifically tells us that there are instances when we are commanded not to love? Well, if I was going to give a straight-up answer, you can't. You just can't, right? Because Scripture commands us not to, and that's why we're going to look at First John chapter two, okay? Which also can be kind of um, be quite controversial to the postmodern ideology, because they're all about love. Yet, this to a believer is a critical text for you and I to live by, okay? So, 1 John chapter two, verse fifteen and seventeen, it'll be up on the screen here. Now, if we just quickly just kind of pass through this passage, you know, just kind of read it real quickly, it may kind of seem to contradict a little bit that as Christians, we are supposed to love people, right? We're supposed to love in the world, okay? And last week, we looked at that example in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, and I'm just going to summarize it, where we said that we love because God is love. And He first loved God. Us. Then you can take some scriptures like Luke, uh, I'm sorry, John, chapter 13, verse 35, that says, "By this, all we know, oh, all will know, that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." And then there's the issue of the most prominent, I, I would say, New Testament verse, the most famous one, about how God feels about the world. Right? You all know it? John 3:16. For God so loved the world. So if God so loved the world, then why then why shouldn't we? But see, what, what happens is a lot of times we will, people will like stack different verses because there's so many other different verses that talk about the fact that we are supposed to love each other and we're supposed to love people and all of those things. But when you stack all of those scriptures together, right? And then you have John saying, do not love the world or the things of the world. It kind of gives that appearance and, and seems so kind of contradictory because, you know, his message in some ways really should collapse under these, these scriptures that talk about love people, love, you know, God so loved the world. And so when we look at that, um, and it, we also kind of, I, let, me, let me digress just a little bit. But also, even in postmodernism, I don't even think that they would agree with the fact that, you know what, there are certain things. We're just supposed to be nice all the time, right? It's kind of the 11th commandment. Thou shall be nice. And so, what we have to kind of look at it, and, and, and they use that, right, kind of as a club. What I mean by a club, like, you know, I hammer it. The fact that anybody that challenges that, because God... God is a God of love, but God isn't also a God of, of, mir- of judgment. God is a God who, who says, hey, you, you can't keep living your life this way. And so the fact that we come at it from a scriptural standpoint, many people will try to just club us or beat us up with the fact, well, then you're not walking in love. You're this, you're that, you're whatever they want to call you in the moment. Right? But here John is, is kind of saying something different at least when people kind of, when they don't study it through, here John is saying something different. And so it kind of leaves this thing where we've got a kind of a love dilemma going on. I mean, how can the beloved disciple John of the beloved son Jesus, who who was sent by the loving father, God, right, to be the beloved savior, how in the world can he say, do not love? and yet here here he does he did it he command, it was in command form nonetheless so if we if we love that which we are commanded not to love then loving actually listen becomes sinful does that make sense if we love what god tells us not to love then loving that becomes sinful in our lives, okay? So John chapter two then is not a a, a kind of a a, theory, kind of just this opinion-based suggestion, but instead it's kind of this black and white rubber meets the road um, kind of text that really just leaves no room for doubt. Yet what happens is Christians really struggle to reconcile this because we're supposed to love, right? Because God is love. And we're supposed to, to be lovers of people. So, let's look at, 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 at and we're going to kind of dive into to John chapter 2. And um, we're going to look at the instances that John says that what, what, what could possibly be sinful if, if we love it. And I'm, I'm going to give you one more scripture before we do. And that's in Matthew chapter 10. Because I, I want to make sure that we kind of also recognize where Jesus is coming from. And, and really, how many would say Scripture tells us to imitate Christ? Right? So here's Jesus. We're supposed to imitate him. But so he's coming in this, this passion of Scripture in Matthew um, with a little bit of an edge to him. Okay? And how many know that Jesus was very, I would say, con- controversial? Right? He, didn't, he wasn't like concerned about numbers. He didn't care how many people were were following him, right? He wasn't concerned about that. He was very just straight to the point. This is the way it is. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Which, you know, in some ways, like Jesus, you can't grow a church that way, bro. You just can't, right? But man, he, he didn't care. But this is what he says. He says in Matthew chapter 10, don't imagine, this is Jesus talking, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right will be right in your own household. Now that's pretty hard right there. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you will give up your life for me, you will find it. That is not kind of church growth 101 to some degree. But see, Jesus wasn't concerned about that. Jesus was more concerned about the truth. He was more concerned about the heart of a person. Not about kind of being all peaceful and soft, right? I don't think Jesus was ever, like, soft in a way. He had compassion, right? But Jesus was also very just, boom, there it is. It's in your face. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you, right? So here we see Jesus, right? He's not minimizing or weaponizing family relationships, just so you know, okay? Instead, he's kind of bringing a couple things to light, okay? The first is, there can be no earthly human relationships, regardless of how intimate, that is allowed to detract from one's loyalty to God and His Word. That's what he's saying, right? But how often there, some will allow or have people in their lives where they give totally but don't recognize the fact that that person that they're giving their life totally to is oftentimes diverting them from actual their loyalty to God and and their their relationship with God. A second thing is we must recognize that personal discipleship and commitment to Jesus can result in division or rejection within family relationships in this postmodern culture. So, the fact that you stand up for Christ could bring a sword into your family. Could bring a sword into your family dynamics, your relationship. But Jesus was saying, that's what it's going to take. For you to stand up. And yeah, I I get it. I still love you anyways, but I, I have to follow Jesus. I have to follow what he's saying to me. I've got to focus on that. My attention has to be there. And you know what? I'm going to love you anyways. And even if you don't like me anymore, and even if, man, I'm not invited to our family, this or that or whatever, what's more important to us? What carries more weight? See, that's what Jesus is trying to get across. Like he's saying, I must carry the weight of your love and affection over everything else so you know what jesus is just being clear about his assignment it was not to preserve peace at all cost but to establish god's kingdom with authority authoritative clarity right as an example listen his authority is an example of god's love see we never look at it that way do we we think his authority is kind of like man he's kind of captain bummer sometimes he kind of just, you know, does things and, and says this and do this and do that or whatever. And it's kind of just really, man, that's really hard to do. I don't think I can do that. Um, I'm, I'll try my best. But, you know, but, but see, the fact is, is he has this authoritative um, kind of line of, of um, discipline that you find in Scripture that is really based all in love. It's not in the fact that he wants to make your, heart, your life hard, that he wants to make your life miserable. That's not it. See, when we find ourselves in the middle of God's will and in the middle of doing what He says, we will find that, man, that love that He has for us becomes so much greater, so much more like just, whoa, this is what it's about. But see, what happens is we, we in our flesh fight it all the time. And so God's like, hey, I'm setting up these lines of authority. I'm setting up these lines of of discipline and, and, and commands and things like that. Not because I want to make your life miserable. It's because I want you to know I love you so deeply, right? You know, it's kind of like that whole parenting thing. Like, you know, you love your kids no matter what, but there's something special when your kid is all of a sudden catching it and starting to do the things you're asking them to do, right? And you're like, man, this is awesome. Finally, you know, whatever. I think sometimes maybe even God kind of has that going on with us, right? Because he says some things to us, and he's like, I really want you to follow these directions. I really want you to follow this. And yet, sometimes we're like our kids who, you know, just don't do it Or, or, or do a smidgen of it, right? I remember as a kid, my parents would tell me, clean your room. Well, my idea of cleaning my room was shoving everything under my bed, right? And everything into my closet. Hey, look, Mom, I cleaned my room. Until she went, uh. And then, I mean, I jammed everything under there and in my closet. But see, I think I did part of it. I kind of did what my mom wanted me to. Sometimes we can look at Scripture and see what God wants us to do, and we kind of go, I did part of it. But God's all, no, no, that's not the full of it. That's not exactly what I wanted of it. And so we've got to kind of begin to understand that his love, this clarity that he brings to us in his word is all based out of love and not out of being, like I said, Captain Bummer or or just wanting to make your life terrible, okay? So let's kind of look through, because we've got kind of now a foundation. Let's look through 1 John 2, and, and it really highlights four reasons that love can be sinful, okay? Four reasons how love can be sinful. And the very first reason is love becomes sinful when it's directed at the wrong object. Love becomes sinful when it's directed at the wrong object. First John 2:15 starts right off. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Okay? Now, before we kind of discuss that a little bit farther, lip, and, and then what is the wrong object, which is kind of obvious through the Scripture, I want to I point to the word love for a second, okay? Now, the word love is this Greek word, agapeo. sorry, okay? You know, I always get tongue-tied. Okay, but, but this is what it means. It means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, To love dearly. Okay? So think of it that way. Not unconditional love, but it's the fact that I am entertaining it. I'm accepting it. I'm welcoming it. Then it says, right, world, which is mentioned three times in verse 15. We only said it two times here, but verse 15 has it three times, which is the word cosmos. Okay, and that is not referring to the earthly realm or the universe or the planet that we inhabit. Okay, it's not even referencing John 3.16. Okay, so basically what, I, what, I, what we're trying to get to is God's not saying don't love people, but all three are referencing, rep, uh, re- referencing the world's order, how it is arranged, or let's just say it, the spirit of the age. Okay, which is the moral, spiritual order, of um, of spiritual or realm that currently controls the political systems, along with uh, worldview ideologies and philosophies, that listen are all in rebellion to God and His kingdom. So we got to be able to look at it and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Okay. So you're telling me, Pastor Scott, that I am not supposed to be welcoming into my life. I am not supposed to be loving all of these ideologies, all of these things, all of these things that the world presents. Is that what you're saying? Yes. That's what I'm saying. It's not the world, you know, whether it's flat or around to you, even though it's round, right? It's talking about the ideologies of the world, the systems of the world, the things that are, are, we are experiencing day in and day out. And as I said, if you are even paying attention, you can see that it is just eroding. It is just coming to pieces, and it's so sinister and so evil. Right? But why? Why is that? Well, let me give you a couple, couple of uh, scriptures here. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Who's the God of this world? Satan is, right? 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, meaning under the influence of the wicked one. And really, you could go on from there. There's so many more, right? But when John refers to the world, he is referring to the world that is under the control of the adversary, our adversary, the devil, right? That spiritually and ideology, uh, it's just at war with our king, right? And his kingdom. So that means then, that the spirit of the age is the object that he's talking about. That we are not to entertain, be fond of, or to love dearly. So, love turns into sin when we engage in a love of our culture, our world. When we accept things that don't line up with God's Word, that can lead us into sin. The second reason why love can be sinful is love becomes sinful when it's pointed in the wrong direction. When it's pointed in the wrong direction. Again, 1 John 2:15 says if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. This is what the uh, Christian Jewish Bible says. If someone loves the world, then love for the father is not in him. Kind of the same, but it has a little bit difference. Right? So that what that means then is one's love for the world is incompatible with the love of the Father. Does that make sense? It's incompatible. It doesn't go together. You can't love the world and love God. Matthew 6.24 puts it this way. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Another scripture is this: James chapter four, I won't be up on the board, but this is in the Passions tran- translation. It says this: "You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world." Ouch! Right? He says, "Do you not know flirting with the world's values place you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. That's some pretty strong words right there. But see, that's where we then we have to look at it and say, okay, Lord, where, Holy Spirit, where? Where am I a friend? Where am I entertaining? Where am I welcoming in the values of the world into my life? Right, you know, he's not going to say, hey, you can't watch sports, or you can't watch, do this, or you can't, I don't think God says that, but see, it's when it, when it becomes something that we love to the point where, man, it diverts us from our relationship with God. So we can't love the world and love God simultaneously at the same time. And this is what 1 Peter tells us, Right. Because I think this is important that we recognize and understand this. But 1 Peter 2.9 says, Our oldest person in our congregation, our community, to the very youngest in our community, they are a chosen generation. Right? Okay. So you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So when someone is born again, they are transferred from the dark, corrupted way of thinking and living that dominates the world into God's pure, perfect, and promising kingdom life. That's what it's supposed to be. Right? And with that transfer of position, then there's supposed to be a transfer of allegiance. And I think that's where people get stuck. They kind of get stuck in that. They're like, okay, I got saved. Awesome. But a lot of times it's like, well, God's so loving and kind and gracious, then you know what? It's all just gonna be fine or whatever. But no, God says, no, you need to, to pick which side. Right? Joshua says, Choose this day whom you will serve. But for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. And so that's something that we've got to grapple with. We've got to wrestle through. We've got to be able to think about, where am I in this picture? Have I transferred my allegiance? Yet, here we have John 2.15, indicates that our love is still for the world, then that means that, you know what, it signals that our allegiance hasn't changed. If we are still... Focused, welcoming, walking according to the ways of the world, and you know what, our tra- our allegiance hasn't changed, any, really, other than maybe the fact that you know you feel like you got the golden ticket and you're going to going to heaven. You know, Willie Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, the old version, not the the newer one. I'm, I like the old version. Can I get an amen? Yeah, maybe. Okay, all right. But see, that's the thing. We think sometimes just getting saved that's the golden ticket. But the thing is, is no, God wants more than just, hey, I got you the golden ticket. I'll, I want you to be invested and involved and, and transferred in and, and your allegiance given to me. But see, John explains kind of what this, this kind of picture um, of these former followers that were Christians who later went and abandoned the faith. Okay. Um, 1 John 2:19 says this. They went out from us. Seeming at first to be Christians. This is in the Amplified Version. They went out from us, seeming at first to be Christians, but they were not really of us, because they were not truly born again and spiritually transformed. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out teaching false doctrine, so that it would be clearly shown that none of them are of us. So in other words, John is saying, I know that they said they were Christians, but the truth is they never really were devoted to Christ. Because why? Their love and affection and loyalty pointed at the world system that highly opposed God. So basically, their, their trans, um, the transfer of their allegiance to God never happened. And and part of that is like the emphasis of the fact that, you know what, we get saved, but do we really make Jesus Lord of our life, right? Because that's a difference. We can say, Jesus, you're the Savior, I get that, but then at the same time, we need to make him Lord of our lives. The Lord, when we make him Lord of our lives, meaning that he rules over our lives, what does that mean then? Our allegiance is transferred. We're no longer lovers of this world. But our allegiance has transferred to the point of, no, man, I am all about Jesus. I'm all about God. First and foremost, before anything else. And so in some ways, you know, you kind of look at it with these, these people and it was kind of like they showed up to church every Sunday, but there was nothing going on in their hearts for God. Nothing going on. So love can become sinful... Not only when it's pointed in the wrong direction, but to number three, love becomes sinful when it arises from the wrong source. When it arises from the wrong source. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Right? So here John, he's just saying, man, this love for the world arises from from the world and its self-centered, anti-Christ-leaning doctrines, right? And it gives us three progressive categories of sin, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? So the lust of the flesh is the internal sinful desire that arises from being fleshly creatures in a fallen world, okay? It's the internal nature of man that pushes us to satisfy ourselves without considering what is right before God. Have you ever stopped? And say, wait a minute, what's what is right before God? Instead, a lot of times what we do, we, we just kind of go for it. But hopefully we get to a stage where at some point in our lives we look at it and say, wait a minute, I gotta stop here for a second. What is right in God's eyes? That's what God says? Okay, I'm going to do what God says because my allegiance is towards Him, not towards what my flesh wants. Right? And and here's another thing too. The lust of the flesh can cause healthy, God-given desires to become sinful cravings and yearnings and even lust. Like for an example, right? Hunger propels us to find food, right? Right? Eating is good. How many would agree with that? Now, eating too much might be a little bit of a problem, right? But eating is good, right? But when we eat too much, right, then you know what? Our hunger kind of grows and grows and grows. And so all of a sudden, now we have a lust for food, which is the word gluttony, right? Too much of it, right? Which then, the Bible says, gluttony is a Sin. But here's what Galatians 5.24 says. It says this, And those who are, are Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, when you read that, notice something that's very important. Right? This is something a believer has to do. Didn't say... That Jesus miraculously came down and did it for you. But when we become a Christian now, we have to make decisions about who our allegiance is towards. And it says, and those who are of Christ have crucified your flesh. How many have really truly crucified their flesh? That's a hard thing, isn't it? It's tough to do. But it's totally doable. Okay? It totally... Is doable. Because if we don't do that, then John kind of like, he he kind of alludes to this that you know what? If you don't do that, you'll continue in the practice. And those who continue in the practice of giving in to the lusts of their flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. What? I mean, that, if you think about it, that's pretty powerful. But see, we, we just kind of gloss over Scripture sometimes and just kind of read it and think, oh, yeah, okay, I get it, yeah, well, whatever. But man, that, that's some deep stuff. The, the next thing is the lust of the eyes. Again, this is an eternal sinful desire to possess what one sees or to have those things which are, have visual appeal. You know, such as money or possessions or you know, even the possibility of looking at someone in a a wrong way of thinking. Um, In Genesis chapter 3, that's kind of Satan's method, right? He used the lust of the eyes to tempt Eve by convincing her, hey, that looks really appealing. That fruit's visual appearance is something that you should have, right? He played the same game with Jesus, right? But Jesus didn't fail. He took Jesus up to the top of the thing and said, look at the splendor of the world. Look at the glory of the... It's all yours. I'll give it to you all. Remember, who's the God of this world? Satan, right? So he's saying, hey, I'll give it to you. Every single bit of it. But it, it was, what? Going at it from the lust of the eyes. But Jesus again said, no, I'm, I'm not failing this test. But see, we have to understand that the lust of the eyes and the, and the flesh are Internal. And will always kind of be this ongoing temptation that we're going to face. But again, like I said, we have power to overcome it. Right? See, Jesus said, I understand that you'll be tempted. But you know what? I will always make a way for you to escape that temptation. Man, isn't that good? That to me is so good. I'm so grateful for that scripture. Because temptation is all around me. All the time. But because I put my focus back on Him, I can get, on, get out of it. Right? That's why Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 2, and, and really it's something that we need to do, it says, looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus safeguards us against the traps and the lust of the eyes. Keeping our eyes on Jesus because He's ready to help us. And the last one is the pride of life, right? Which is anything that leads to arrogance, presumption, boasting, and pride in one's self. You know, and, and so part of that is, is the fact that, you know what, testifying of God's goodness, right, or boasting in the Lord is, is, is good, it's great. But anything that exalts us above our station or above God It's boastful, arrogant. It's really the pride of life. And let me give you an example of that real quick. Is in Isaiah chapter 14, and we're going to jump 12, 13, and 14, but it's going to break up in different pieces. But see, that was the very reason why Satan was expelled from from heaven. It says this in verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, for you have said in your heart. Notice where, notice where it starts. Where does it start? In the heart. Right? And then from the heart, it comes out of your mouth. So that's why we got to protect our hearts. But he said, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Above the stars of God. Then he says, I will be like the Most High. No one can be like the Most High. And then I, I, Proverbs says this, uh, 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we can see that pride, the pride of life is really an evil temptation. It's one that does not come from God. It comes from the world. And it seeks to elevate itself above all others and to fulfill all of one's personal desires. Right? And, and if this continues in one's life, it, it basically what it does, it renders you ineffective for the kingdom because of your arrogance, because of your pride. Because what happens, it begins to shift. I did it. I give myself more credit than I give God credit for. And you, people, people can see that. But it rendered you kind of ineffective. So we, we, we can't live in that frame of, of mind. But again, right? If we put our eyes on Jesus, we allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, then you know what? We can have victory over it. And let me give you the final last for, important point. Number four. Love becomes sinful when it leads us to the wrong eternity. 1 John 2.17 says this, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So right here we see John's highlighting two very opposite endings. One, right, there's this world that is passing away. I love how he even says, "And, and the lust of it, Right? So, this temporary system that is being influenced by the devil or by the deceiver, that is full of lust, rebellion, and anti God theology, is coming to an end. And if one puts his trust and his faith in that, right, drawing one's life source, really, from the world, guess what? It's going to lead to eternal death. This is what Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is it... it wait a minute. But its end is the way to death. Right? Wouldn't you say in, that's the culture of today? I mean, it's all about what, I, oh, what makes me happy. Yeah, it's about my feelings It's about what I want. When God's Word tells us, man, there's a way that seems right to a man, but you know what? All that's going to do is lead you to eternal death. But there's another alternative ending. The second ending, that there is one true God who will abide forever, right? And John promises that the ones who keep on habitually doing the will of God and stay focused on Him, will abide and have eternal life forever with Him. Can you see the two opposite, the, the, the two choices? There's two choices in that. I'm going to give you this, this last scripture, and uh, uh, Andrew, if you want to come up uh, and, and back me up here. But in John 3:36 says this. This is in the message version. Whoever accepts and trusts the Son gets in on everything. Life complete and forever. And that is also why the person who avoids and distrusts the Son is in the dark and doesn't see life. All he experiences of God is darkness. And an angry darkness at that. So, Get the picture of this. And what basically what John is saying here too is that everyone lives for eternity. Everyone does. But it's where you choose to end up that becomes the factor. Right? And so we have to recognize that, man, that, that in our life, there, there's major decisions, points in our life but you might say, well, man, Pastor Scott, I already know. I've got the second option. It's I'm good. So then if that's, that's the case, then I would just challenge you to, to look at it and be able to say again to the Holy Spirit, where in my life have I given place, have I welcomed, have I um, entertained my, the, my love for the world? and what the world has to offer. And only you and Him can talk about it. Oh, you can get prayer for it. You can come down afterwards and get prayer for it. But really, this is a thing where, man, the Holy Spirit has to shine that light and be able to say, hey, this is an area of your life that I need you to correct, that I need you to get off that train. Right? And how you get off that train is, one, one is repentance, And then two is to say, all right, I'm changing. I'm transferring my allegiance to you in this area because I I recognize the importance of it. I understand that that's what I need to do. So if you would, bow your heads with me. And I want to just pray this prayer as we end. Holy Spirit, we come to you really in humility, really in a sensitive place. And we ask, Holy Spirit, would you help us to understand the areas of our life? I pray that no one has these areas, but if there are areas in our life where we have entertained, we have given our love and affection towards the world because we don't want to live in sin we don't want to live the double life or whatever it is but Holy Spirit share that with us open our hearts to that help us to see and then help us to to repent before you repent to the, to the King to our Lord and Savior And then help us too, Lord, to to even make you Lord of our lives. Meaning everything is surrendered to you. And so I just ask that upon our people today, even in my own life. I ask that upon all of us in this community right now. That you would speak clearly. You would speak loudly if you have to. And then that we would put our self in a position to surrender totally to you. And that we would love you more than anything else. Because we recognize today that that's important. That, that is a priority number one. And I thank you for what you're going to do within us. Lord, I even want to say thank you for the boldness and the courage to maybe make some hard choices that we have to make. But I know that the Holy Spirit and your love is there and gives grace to those as they walk that out. And so I thank you for all that you're going to do in us this week, today, starting today and this week. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name.